June 30th, 1947. It was a long summer evening. The sun reluctant to sink beyond the Olympics. The shy stars holding back until the last possible moment. I lingered in my garden, sidling between my careful rows, tying up pea vines and pinching back tomato leaves. I ran my hands through the blueberry bushes that grew against the back fence, searching for a few more ripe berries to add to the baskets waiting in the pantry. I had a dozen ready to sell at the market. I expected to get 10 cents a piece for them. I had eggs to sell too and several fat heads of butter lettuce. It was a good harvest for early summer. I would be able to pay my electricity bill, my share of the party line, and have enough left over to buy scratch for the hens and flour and sugar and coffee for myself. I scooped the berries into the front pocket of my overalls and straightened to gaze up into the twilight. These were lonely moments on my isolated farm, but I found beauty in them. Tatters of cloud shone silver against the violet sky, shimmering in the night wind. The breeze rippled the leaves of the apple trees clustered between my place and the shore of Hood Canal, and it tinged the air with the scent of salt water. I felt the pull of the canal as a physical sensation. Its tides seemed to resonate with the tides of my own flowing blood, its life calling to the life in my veins. Sometimes the pull was so strong, I had to drop what I was doing and go to the shore, driven by a need to touch the water, to feel its cool, salty texture on my fingers or washing over my bare feet. I felt the tug that night, the water beckoning to me, but the sky was beginning to darken, and the field between my house and the canal was pocked with holes and tangles of tall grass. I told myself I would go in the morning, as I often did, perhaps fish for flounder from the half-submerged dock or just ramble along the beach in search of sea glass. I liked holding the glass fragments in my hand, bits of brown or blue or clear glass worn smooth by the water. I tried to imagine what they had once been part of, a milk bottle, a medicine vial, a jelly jar, perhaps even a glass dish that had at one time rested in some housewife's kitchen cupboard. I told myself stories about how the glass had ended up in the water. The milk bottle might have been thrown overboard from a ship. The glass dish might have slipped out of the housewife's hand and shattered on the floor. The jelly jar might have belonged to a child, who meant to catch pollywogs in it, but had dropped it into the creek with small, water-slick fingers. I kept what I collected in a mason jar on the kitchen windowsill, where the sun could shine through, splashing the counter and the floor with prisms of light. When a coyote yipped, somewhere to the north, I started from my reverie. I hurried through the garden to the house to call Willow in from the darkness. One coyote wouldn't be a problem for a dog of her size, but a pack of them could. We had lots of coyotes on the peninsula. I had hung an iron bell on my back porch, an artifact salvaged from some derelict ship. I pulled the leather cord to strike the clapper, sending its hollow clang rolling out into the dusk. From beyond the orchard, Willow barked in answer, and I went to the side gate to hold it open for her. She was hard to see in the dimness, but I could make out her pale silhouette as she loped through the apple orchard and trotted across the empty field toward the garden. She rubbed her shoulder against my leg as she came through the gate and I scratched behind her ears. We walked side by side toward the house, my hand on her head, her rangy body warm and muscular against my thigh. My Aunt Charlotte said, nobody calls a dog with a bell. 
I didn't know if that was true. I didn't know much about dogs except for Willow, and she always came when I rang the ship's bell. She did it from the very beginning, even when she was so small I could hold her in my two hands. I had never intended to have a dog. The previous June, Charlotte had paid me a surprise visit, rolling up my dirt lane in her big Studebaker, churning billows of dust as she swung the auto into the space by my yard. She hadn't bothered waiting for the dust to settle. She had climbed out onto the running board, one gloved hand waving, the other clutching something small and beige and fluffy. I had come out onto the front porch to greet her, and I had squinted through the haze, trying to see what she was carrying. Barry Ann, she cried, brought you a present. No one uses my full name anymore. Not since my parents died. Will never did use it. Charlotte likes it, but I really think she uses it to remind me that she's family, that she knows me better than anyone. She climbed off the running board, leaving the Studebaker's door open and came toward me wearing a wide scarlet lipsticked grin. I started down the steps to the yard to meet her, but when I saw what she was carrying, I froze. I wasn't afraid of dogs or of any animal. I catch my own fish in Hood Canal. I chase away the deer who stretch their necks through my fence to nibble cherry tomatoes and snap peas, and I shout and clap at coyotes who threaten my hen house. I even shot at one, although I hated doing it so much I never did it a second time. But a puppy of my own, one I might fall in love with, worry about, and one day inevitably lose, that frightened me.